Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just Stand the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Good show for you this week. We already gave you a big show on Sunday night, Monday morning, popping your podcast feeds, our NFL draft special. We talked to Daryl Slayer, the star, Red, star ledger. We did the NFL mock draft, the first ever one on the podcast. We also got some good stuff coming up. We're going to give you a bonus conversation with Al Ianazone of Newsday, talking about the Jets as they head into the draft. And it's a very interesting spot for the Jets in this draft because... They have 10 picks here. They have two in the first two round. In the first round, they have another one at 34, two more in the third round. Could be a very big draft for the Jets. We'll talk to Al about that in just a bit. Make sure you locked into the end of the show for the two-minute drill. And I want to get some stuff on my chest here. I'm sick of people whining about April baseball. I really am. I'm going to let you know about why at the end of the show. But we'll get it all started with our opening tip. We'll talk about the brilliance of Jacob deGrom right after this. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here on the podcast. Got to talk about the history you're watching here in New York. It's not the Knicks. Unless I love the Knicks. Winning nine in a row is awesome, but you talk about Jacob DeGrom here. And the historic brilliance we've seen out of him. And we know he's in the best pitcher in baseball. He styles himself in 2018, 2019 with the back-to-back Cy Young Awards. 2020 could have won it again, not for a bad start or two down the stretch. Basically tilting against Trevor Bauer. At the rate he's going this season, he might have sold the award up in April. That's how brilliant he's been. And, record, and you're gonna, it's going to be in your ears on Wednesday when he's pitching tonight against the Boston Red Sox. He has been absolutely brilliant this season. Let's give you some numbers. So far, he's made four starts. Could have won all four easily, but he's only two and one. ERA of .31. He struck out 50 batters in 29 innings pitched. He's allowed 13 hits, three walks, one earned run on the season with a shutout. That shutout came on Friday night against the Nationals where he absolutely dominated this lineup. He had two hits, struck out 15, went the distance, they could not touch him in that game. He's now the first player to ever strike out 50 batters in his first four starts of the season. And this was him only striking out seven in six innings against the Phillies. As they went 14, 14, and 15 in terms of strikeouts, which is absolutely absurd. He's now past Tom Seaver for the lowest career ERA by Mets starters. DeGrom is 255 as a Mets starter. Seaver is 257. That's astounding. This is the best pitcher in the history of the franchise, Tom Seaver. And DeGrom is better than him in ERA right now. Great, still a long way to go for DeGrom's career, but that's incredible. He's being in, comparing this category. And something that he's forgotten about after this year in the Universal DH gets added to the games that he can hit. He's hitting 545 with two RBIs on the year. Think about that one for a second. He has driven in more runs. Two. He's given out the earned runs. One. That is absolutely nuts. 
And Jacob DeGrom right now, he is just dominating in this era where here's taken over, which is all about the launch angle and the, and the data revolution, the baseball being funky and the ball flying out of the ballpark. He's dominating this era. That's extremely impressive. And you watch him pitch. He is on a different planet than the rest of the sport. He has been brilliant. He's getting better as he gets older, which is crazy. He's throwing harder. He said recently he wants to pitch into his 40s to ensure he could be an inner circle Hall of Famer. And right now, he is on the kind of run that, despite the fact the Mets have blown so many wins opportunities for him over the years, he's been up such brilliance in a short time frame that if he does this for a couple more years, he's going to get himself in the Hall of Fame regardless of how many wins he has. Anytime he takes the mound right now, it's appointment television. Remember back when it was Harvey Day, back in 2013, 2012, when Harvey when Harvey was the big deal for the Mets, and they even made the shirt, it's Harvey Day, you have to go watch him pitch. Right now, DeGrom Day is a deal. Whenever Jacob DeGrom is pitching, you stop, you watch, and see what happens, because he's in a place right now where it doesn't matter what lineup he faces, what hitters he's in the lineup against, he could throw a no-hitter anytime he takes it down. Would be surprised this year if he throws a no hitter or two? I wouldn't at the rate he's pitching. This is the best any pitcher has been since Pedro in 99, which is just ridiculous. Remember, 1999 Pedro Martinez literally carried the Red Sox. He was untouchable. He was striking out 300 batters a season. We're getting to a point now where DeGrom is in that territory. And. He now is on his fourth year in a row of just being completely untouchable in the sport. No offense to Corbin Burns and his 40 strikeouts out of walk, which is also historic in his own nature. The size is still the Groms to lose. We're in an area right now where this run from 2018, 2019, 2020, now 2021, it's beginning to look Kofaxian, where he just is doing stuff that other pitchers cannot do or cannot even dream of doing. And consider this. Also, he has set the bar so high where if he goes out tonight against the Red Sox, goes six innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, we would consider that a bad start for him. Whereas if Joey Lucchese did that for the match, you'd be like, wow, Joey Lucchese pitched great. He gave up only three runs to the Red Sox, went deep in the game, fantastic. Whereas DeGrom, you're going... He's done like he's done better. He could be better than this. He is redefining what we consider good pitching and enjoy the ride, Met fans, because you have the unquestioned best pitcher in this sport right now. Hopefully this team can get him into the playoffs because you have a guy like him pitching in a short series that gives your chances of winning a title significant boost. It's a long way away. We're gonna enjoy the ride though, because he's a treasure. A very special player on the Mets. And with Steve coming around, you can have faith. He's not going anywhere. They will pay whatever it takes to keep him around long term. But up next, we're getting ready for the NFL draft once again. We're going to do some Jets talk with Al Ianazone of Newsday right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Talking New York Jets at the NFL draft coming up this week. Joining me today is the guy who covers them for Newsday, Al Ianazone is here. Al, how are you? Good, Mike. How you doing? 
pretty good. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. And I got to say, I'm a Jet fan myself. This offseason is very interesting. What do you think about what Joe Douglas has done for the Jets this offseason? Well, I think he addressed some needs, obviously. Um, when you look at the defensive line, um, you know, that was actually one of the strengths I saw from last year's team with Quinn and Williams. Um, Foley Fatukasi had a pretty good season. Now you're finally adding a, an edge rush, a rusher in Carl Lawson. And, uh, you know, I thought Sheldon Rankins was a good pickup. Um, you know, because the defensive line, obviously, look, every, every position is important, but the defensive line is very important in Robert Salah's defense. So I thought, I thought they did a good job there. Obviously, a couple of receivers, you know, Corey Davis being the, the big one. You got to get your quarterback as many weapons as possible. Uh, I don't think they addressed the offensive line or the uh, cornerback position enough. And, uh, you know, that's something obviously they can do in the draft or when the draft is over. If they didn't feel like they got what they wanted, then maybe they could sign a couple of guys on the cheap and see what happens. But to me, um, you know, the biggest move obviously was the quarterback situation. We knew Sam Donald, Donald was on borrowed time. Uh, I know there was the chance that he could return with the new coaching staff. But I always felt like they would go in a different direction, bring in their own guy, try to build from, you know, the beginning, uh, mold him into the way they want him. And, and, and clearly that's what they did. Yeah, I want to touch on the quarterback situation, too, because obviously that was a trade. It felt like they had to make. I mean, there were, as you said, there were definitely logical arguments to make to keep Sandarl, But in terms of financials and in terms of timeline, it made more sense to move on from him, like, do you think this was the best, like a win-win for, scenario for both sides here? Because not only the Jets get to reset at quarterback, but Sam ends up in a place where he can have a coach who believes in him, have more weapons, have a better line, all that. Yeah, I think so. I think you have to see how it plays out, you know, because obviously right now there's smoke screens everywhere when you're talking about, you know, the week of the draft. Uh, I'm seeing rumors and reports that, you know, Carolina could take a quarterback at number eight. Well, if you take a quarterback, and why'd you just trade for a guy who was the number three pick? So, you know, I do think Sam is in a better situation. Uh, obviously, you look, they got McCaffrey, they got his old pal, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. They have uh, more talent on offense than the Jets had. And, and I thought that was a failing and I'm not uh, of the Jets organization that when they got Sam Darnold, they didn't get the right guys around him. And it wasn't just Mike McCagnan. I mean, Joe Douglas did his best last year. You know, last year was all about the offensive line. But I didn't think the weapons were the right weapons. Um, you know, they let Robbie Anderson walk and Rashad Perriman came in and, and, and that didn't work out due to injury. And I don't think the offensive line lived up to, to the hype after, uh, you know, just spent all that money and the draft rebuilding. I mean, they got, they got a nice player in Mekhi Becton. I think everybody likes the fact that he's going to be the left tackle for a lot of years. Um, but if you're bringing in now, and I'm sure we'll get to this, if you're bringing in a rookie quarterback, you got to make sure you take care of him the way you didn't take care of Sam Donald. I go back, you know, Sam was the number three pick in 2018. The rest of the draft of 2018, not one offensive lineman and not one wide receiver was picked by the Jets. You go to 2019, only Chuma Adoga in the third round was picked by the Jets, you know, a tackle. Again, one offensive lineman, no receivers. They didn't do enough to help Sam. Yeah, even comparison to what they did for Mark Sanchez back in 2009. He had a great running game. He had a great offensive line. They traded for Brendan Edwards and Antonio Holmes. They gave him a chance that this regime didn't do enough. And I think Joe Douglas would admit that he's for his part, he'd make enough things to help Sam. Yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, I, I mean, he did in terms of the offensive line. That was that was the focus last year. And I think everybody thought they made some 
you know, pretty good moves. I mean, both years, I think Joe Tooney was high on their list. They couldn't get him. Um, but the, the, the weapons standpoint, look, Le'Veon Bell just didn't work out here. I think everybody thought that, um, you know, he would be better than he was. I know Adam Gase got a lot of blame for not using him the right way. And there were times I, I felt that, you know, I felt that he didn't use him the right way. And I thought once he went to Kansas City, you would see a little more. And he didn't have big games there either. So, you know, that situation just didn't obviously work out. And then, again, the receiver standpoint, I thought he did a good job getting Denzel Mims. I think we all can agree. A lot of talent there. Um, You know, if he stays healthy, he could be a really good receiver. But they let Robbie Anderson walk, and it wasn't really for that much money. So, you know, that, that, that proved to be a mistake. You want to make sure your quarterback is comfortable and, and, and has the pieces around him, and he had good chemistry with Robbie Anderson. I thought that was a mistake letting him go. Yeah, it makes some sense. Now, a lot of talk about the draft more. Obviously, the draft is this week, and it feels like the Jets are an interesting spot because for a long time they've been chasing picks because they've been trading picks away for things to try to help them win right away. Joe Douglas has gone back more that Bill Parcells, like Mangini era Jets philosophy, where like let's just stockpile our picks. Let's have more chances to find players to help us. I think that's a refreshing change of pace for them. Yeah, I mean, you look at last year's draft, and I think Joe got more right than wrong. Um, and that was his first draft. You know, he came in in 2019 after the draft. Uh, Mike McCagnan had done uh, the drafting that year. So, uh, you know, having 10 picks in this draft. That's a lot, obviously. That's pretty good, and that gives you the flexibility to do whatever you want, whether it's you know trade two to move up, um, trade something to grab a pick next year maybe that you want because some of the guys may not come out this year. You see how many um, you know how many players did not sign with agents, so they have, they have the opportunity to go back to school now. Uh, I obviously think you know with what was going on last year Owen uh, 11 to start i believe Owen 12 i i can't even remember now there's so many losses that you know dealing some of these players away for picks um you know to do the right thing with Steve McClendon or with with um some of these other guys you know i, I that's going to pay dividends now i mean the Jamal Adams deal this is when it's going to start paying dividends with the picks they have i mean they have a second first round pick this year and next if you can use that to move up or to get somebody, you know, maybe an established player, you do it. And and that's what Joe wanted to do, and that's what he needs to do. Look, you know, you say you're a Jets fan. They have not made the playoffs in 10 years, you know. Um, they were 2-14 and 14 last year. It was one of the worst records, you know, worst seasons in, in, in franchise history. They don't have just one hole. They have many, many holes that they need to fill. And the more players, the more assets, the more flexibility, I mean, the more picks, they, you're going to be able to improve quicker. And, you know, that's what this week is going to be about, obviously. Yeah, and obviously this week starts at number two when they're going to take a quarterback. And unless Joe Douglas and the Jets pull one of the biggest connors of all time, it's going to be Zach Wilson from BYU being the guy here. So what do you think about that decision? Because it feels like such a rapid rise for a guy who, like, most of us never heard of before this year even started. Yeah, you know, that's what everybody says. If you, if you think about, um, if you want to say concerns, that was one. That you know, he, he basically came out of nowhere. Another one is that they didn't play the best competition. Um, but you know, you, you, sometimes you got to take a chance. I mean, I, I think that they love his arm strength. There's some people who say he has a better arm than Trevor Lawrence, especially with the different angles he could throw at. You know, I've seen some comparisons, not by, made by me, but made, <laughs> some comparisons to um, 
Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, the way he's able to, to move and make plays happen. Again, it's totally different competition. Um, cause he's not doing it in the NFL and he's not doing it for, 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 you know, uh, one of the big, big fives or whatever. But they, the, the thing, um, you know, if there's one thing that you have to like is that the system that, that they use is similar to the system that, uh, um, you know, the new Jets offensive coordinator, uh, Mike LaFour is bringing in, you know, I, I spoke to the, uh, the BYU coach last week, his offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, uh, Aaron Roderick. And he said, you know, there are two teams we studied a lot and we used a lot. One was the Chiefs and one was the 49ers. So, I mean, that's going to help his transition. But again, I go back to what I said earlier. Got to get the guy help. Got to improve the line. Got to get him more weapons. Yeah, I agree with all those points. As far as the concerns about him coming out of nowhere, you could have said the same thing about Joe Burrow last year. And granted, he's playing exactly. at a higher level at the SEC. But he looked pretty good when he played for the Bengals last year. I, I thought so too, and that that's a good comparison. And then and then you know um, I've heard people say this, and I I agree with it that you know uh, Josh Allen played at Wyoming, and and look how he's played in the NFL. You know it it all comes down to makeup of the person and player, uh, the coaching staff, and how they develop them, and, and the talent around. You know th- those are the three biggest factors, in my opinion on how, you know, whether a guy makes it. And especially in such a tough market here, I mean, again, we're going to keep saying the same stuff. They haven't made the playoffs in forever. They have only made it to one Super Bowl. I mean, Jet fans, but not only Jet fans, ownership of the Jets, the Johnsons, they're, they're, they're craving for success, you know. That's putting a lot of pressure on this kid. But by all accounts, he seems like he can handle it, you know. And I, and you know, let me go back one second. I thought Sam Darnold did a pretty good job in terms of handling everything that was put on his plate because, um, you know, he, he received a lot of praise in the beginning, then criticism. You know, he, he dealt with the mono. He dealt with all the losing. You could see it was wearing on him. But he handled himself a lot better than probably most kids who were 21, 22, 23. Now, they're obviously hoping the same thing with um, Zach Wilson. However, I think they're going to be in a better position because I think the coaching staff is going to be stronger. And you need a good support staff. I mean, obviously, we can all agree now that, you know, Adam Gase was not the right guy for the Jets and he wasn't the right guy for Sam Darnold. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more interesting spot for them is at 23 because they have a lot of options there. They could stay put and take someone. They could trade up for a couple of spots. They see a guy that, like, slide and they could trade down, like, how do you think the Joe Douglas could play as a 23? Yeah, I think you have to wait and see how the board plays out. Um, you know, if you, if you, if we, we talked to Joe Douglas about this the other day, when you look at 23 and 34, I mean, those are, those are two good spots to be in, obviously. Do you address needs? Do you help your quarterback? Do you do one of both? Do you do one of each? Do you take best available play? You know, how do you do it? I mean, and I would say, if there's an edge rusher there that you're absolutely in love with, or you can move up to, then get him with with Robert Sala, and you can get a difference maker on the line and put him opposite, you know, Carl Lawson, then get him. You know, if if that's a uh, you know Greg Rousseau or, or Aziz Ajulari, whoever whoever it may be, they also need a cornerback. If if and I don't think that you know the main guys are going to drop. I don't think Sertan is going to drop, and I don't think J.C. Horn will drop. But you might be in position to get a Newsom or Caleb Farley, and, and and are they healthy? I mean, those are the two biggest concerns with those guys. Or do you go offensive line? Do you go running back 
to put somebody in, uh, you know, a, a better running back for for Mike LaFleur's system, and you give you give uh, Zach another weapon. There's just so many ways they can go, and uh, that's that's what's going to be interesting here because I I do think there's going to be a lot of movement, especially with the Jets. You know, um, ten picks. They're not trading the number two unless you know something crazy happens, but. You know, the nine other picks, I would say all options are on the table and, and anything could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think I would consider it more like a not that, like, if someone they like, especially like on the offensive line, as Joe Douglas' his bread and butter starts sliding down to, like, maybe 19 or 20, I wouldn't, it, would, it wouldn't kill them to trade, like, a four or something and move up a couple of slots and make sure they get the guy they want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know a guy, uh, Vera Tucker from USC, is a guy that, you know, could come in and, and obviously you want to improve the interior of the offensive line. He could do that. Um, but there are also some tackles that might be there. And I know you say, okay, well, you got um, Makai Beckton, and that's great. But maybe you put a tackle on the other side of him that's going to be here for years. So, again, you know, they, they know more than we do when it comes to how they're ranking the players and the conversations with them and all the medicals. Um, but I would be surprised if, you know, one of those picks, 23 and 34, one of them wasn't an offensive lineman. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, I would too. I think people are kind of sleeping on the value the Jets can get at 34 as well, because that's basically the equivalent of the weight first round pick there that they have. And now you're talking about potentially three starters to your team at third with two, 23, 34. That's a very good situation for the Jets to be in. Absolutely. And, and that's what they need to be in. I mean, two and 14. You know, and and let's think about this. The fans are going to be back this year. I know Roger Goodell says, you know, by the end of the season or at some point in the season, it's going to be full. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that. Obviously, I'd love to see that because it means we're back to normal. But can you imagine what MetLife Stadium would have been like last year with the way, you know, the Jets were playing, what they would have been doing to Adam Gase, what they would have been doing to Sam Donald? So, you, you know, you have to put together a team now that's going to perform and you can't have a duplicate of last year. Now, I don't think they will because obviously, you know, they made some moves in the off season already. That's, that's helping them. I think Zach Wilson is going to get a little bit of a pass early on. I know there's, you know, there's no patience in New York. I mean, I understand that I'm a sports fan. You want to see your team win one right away, but when you have a rookie quarterback, you do have to re like you said, you have to reset a little, you have to give a little time. And you got to make sure you got all the pieces around them. But this is an opportunity for the Jets to really, really improve, you know, and how much they improve, you know, we'll see. And we'll, we'll see how the coaches, um, you know, do, because I think we all agree too, that Robert Sala didn't really have that much this year in, in, in San Francisco on the defensive side of the ball because of all the injuries they had. And they still were a pretty good formidable defense that makes you think, you know, this guy is going to be able to get the most out of his players. So that's that's the part that I'm sure Jet fans are excited about. That 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 you add some some fresh talent, and you add a new coach and new staff, and they really seem hungry. Let's see what it turns into in a year or two. Yeah, absolutely. And my last question is obviously you've talked about they had the longest playoff drought in the NFL. They haven't made the playoffs since 2010, and no one's expecting them to go this year. Going from two and 14 to playoffs would be quite the leap. But I feel like they've gotten better with talent wise. I feel like this is a team where you look at it and you say like. If they're not winning at least six, seven games and sort of setting themselves up to be in contention in twenty-two, then this, then you have to start worrying a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree to a certain extent, but you also have to, again, with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, how many games was Cincinnati going to win with Joe Burrow? They, 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 they weren't going to win. You know, Carl Lawson's on the other side of the ball there too. Um, 
I think they're on the rise. I think there's only way that's the only place they can go is up. But um, yeah, 2022, uh, you know, you got to be in the mix for the playoffs uh, at the very least. You know, hopefully this year they're they're a relatively competitive team for for Jet fans. Um, but again, it's all going to be about the growth and the development of the players because you got you got a lot of young players on this team. You know, there's some veterans they brought in some veterans, but you're going to have a lot of young players because they got rid of a lot of veterans. Uh, and, and as we keep continue to say here, you got 10 draft picks. Now, not all of them are going to play and probably not all of them are going to be, uh, selected because I do think they're going to make a deal at some point. But, you know, the biggest thing, and I'm just going to keep saying it, make sure that Zach Wilson has enough weapons, has, has, has the protection he needs. Don't make the mistake the organization made with Sam Donald again with Zach Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a key for them in the draft this week. Al, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people find on social media and keep up with your coverage of the Jets and Newsday? Uh, go to Newsday.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Al underscore Ianazone. I-A-N-N-A-Z-Z-O-N-E. Mike, thank you very much for it. All right, Al. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. The Two-Minute Drill. All right, two-minute drill time here. Let's get back to baseball. Let's talk about the fact that I'm sick and tired of ace, of people whining about April baseball. And we're about a month into the season. Everybody seems to have forgotten what the ups and the downs of a 162-game season looks like. I've been on Twitter a lot. I've had my group chats with friends. I've had private people texting me. And I've seen so much moaning and groaning because... The Mets aren't hitting early. The Yankees look lethargic for most of the month, so on and so forth. Have you guys forgotten this is April? This is not last season, where it was the 60-game sprint, where I understand where if you are the Yankees and you're 5-10 and 10 to 15 games in a 60-game sprint, you're like, oh my God, we might miss the playoffs. This is heartbreaking. You're getting the full shebang this year. You're getting all 162. 5 and 10, 6 and 10, that's 10% of your schedule. You can go 10 and 6 the next 10, 16 games and make it all up. Do you know what the record for the 1986 Mets was? Who most Mets fans consider the greatest team of all time in their franchise history after 14 games? It was 7 and 7. Does the current Mets work for 14 games? Does that mean the current Mets are going to the World Series? No. Does it mean they're going to be a last place disaster? No. We don't know yet. The Mets themselves have barely played due to COVID issues and rainouts. Last week was the first time they actually played a full week of baseball without a postponement. And we're nearly a month into the regular season. If you think the combination of Francisco Lindor, Dom Smith, Michael Conforto, James McCann, Jeff McNeil are all not hitting this year, I have a brace to sell you. I'm sorry. This team is too talented. They will hit. The defense, you were right to worry about because there are issues defensively, but they're going to hit. Their pitching's going to get better. The Yankees also have pitching questions after Garrett Cole. I've documented many times this podcast, but if you're expecting guys like Giancarlo Stanton and Glaber Torres and Aaron Hicks to not hit all year again, I got a brace to sell you. This is still April. They're hitting in cold weather. It's been 39 degrees in some parts of some days. 
The Mets last week played in Colorado and Chicago where they barely played above freezing most of the time. As the weather warms up, the bats will warm up with them. You should not be worried at all about that. It seems like a lot of people have forgotten the old adage about checking out where the team is on Memorial Day to see what the record is because it was a classic baseball idea of, okay, season starts, that's cool. Check in with me on Memorial Day. We'll see how we're doing. Memorial Day is still a month away, guys. Have a little patience. We don't need to fire the hitting coach because the Yankees aren't hitting right now. We don't need to bench everybody because they're not hitting right now. Give these guys a chance to sort themselves out. If you hear Memorial Day and the Mets still aren't hitting or the Yankees still look sluggish, then you start to worry. You can be annoyed, absolutely, because you like watching this team, you don't like watching them play terribly. But it's still April. Give them time. Have a little patience. And with that, I want to wrap up our bonus show of the week. I want to thank my guest, Ally Anazone, for coming on and talk all about the Jets. All of that interesting stuff there as you get ready for the draft on Thursday. Robert good stuff like this podcast, including my look at some predictions of the NFL primetime schedule. Remember, that's coming out soon. It's coming out May 12th, the NFL schedule. I'll give you my picks for all the Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night games as well. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. you find all episodes there, including this week's Big NFL draft episode, my chat with Daryl Slater, the mock draft, all that good stuff is there on the podcast feed as well. Please hear your feedback and star ratings all that help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversation on the episode will be up there, including my chat with Al Ionazone. That's going to be up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I. L-I-P-S-331. Give me a follow. You can check out all my commentary on Star Wars, on the baseball, on the draft. I'm going to be sure between playing out the draft this week. That's going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun next week here as we wrap things up with the NFL draft. We're going to do our big NFL draft recap. We'll do the fan forum and more. Until they help you have a better week than Reds fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.